Hello listeners to The Big Interview. You are about to hear something a trifle different from Backpage. The producers of this, inverted commas, fine, close inverted commas, show that admittedly you love so much. It's the first episode in a new season of a podcast they make called Between the Lines. The stories behind great sports writing. In each episode, either Martin or Neil, whose voices you'll know and love from our question and answer episodes on The Big Interview, speak to an author about a book or a long-form story that they have written. In this episode, Neil chats to Ben Reiter of Sports Illustrated, the author of Astro Ball, The New Way to Win It All. The book details the story of how the Houston Astros went from the very worst team in baseball to become serial winners. The strategies implemented there in the fields of data, recruitment and player optimization have already begun to direct the next step in the evolution of elite football. Fans of Liverpool will be glad to hear their club name-checked by Ben in this discussion. You can subscribe to Between the Lines from Backpage using the links in the notes to this episode. For now, from me, it's over to Neil and Mr Ben Reiter, aptly named. Hello, my name's Neil White, and from Backpage, this is Between the Lines, a podcast that tells the stories behind great sports writing. My guest today is back for a second appearance on this podcast, and for good reason. I first interviewed Ben Reiter two years ago about a cover story he wrote for Sports Illustrated in 2014 that predicted the Houston Astros would be World Series champions in 2017, despite the fact that they were, at the time, the worst team in baseball one of the worst in the history of the sport. Three years later, the Astros did indeed win the series, and by that stage, Ben had already begun work on developing his story into a book. Martin Gregg and I at Backpage read an early copy of that book and acquired the UK rights. Our edition is out now, and it's my favourite sports book in years. The result of the Houston Astros' innovations has been incredible. As I record this, they've just won their 100th game of the regular season and also wrapped up their divisional championship they're heading into the playoffs with their sights set on another World Series. Astro Ball tells the story of an organisation willing to commit totally to a long-term plan and ready to learn from the bumps in the road as that plan unfolds. It mixes incredible human stories with the next step in the evolution of the application of data in elite sports. And there's so much that other sports, especially football, could learn from it. I started out by asking Ben when he decided to expand the story he had told brilliantly back in 2014 into a book. It sounds funny to say, Neil, but I thought that there might be a book in this story the first day I spent in the Houston Astros front office sitting in their meeting room with 40 members of their brain trust hearing the way they were talking, hearing the way they were so seamlessly blending the analytical side of things with the scouting and human side of things, I thought, you know, this is something new, this is something fresh, this is something very exciting that can turn into something much longer than the SI story I was there to write. Of course, I wasn't delusional. This was still the worst team in baseball at the time. I knew nobody would want to read a whole book about this team and their process if it didn't work at all. But that day, sitting in that meeting room next to Nolan Ryan, the legendary Hall of Famer, and Sig Dell, the head of their data department, that's really when I started thinking this way. Then they started getting better. 
and I started thinking it might be more of reality. And I spoke to Jeff Luno about the idea. He's the GM, who's a key figure in the book a few times over the years. Um, and then when it really started becoming a reality was after game two of the American League Championship Series in 2017, when the Astros went up two games to none on the Yankees, that's when I called my agent and said, hey, I've been working on this for a long time, been thinking about it for a long time. I think if they win the World Series, this could be an excellent book. Um, of course, they immediately lost three games in a row to the Yankees. It seemed like they were going to wash out of the playoffs right away. There goes that. But they came back and won the series, won the World Series, and then it was off to the races. So when you say that you were kind of developing the idea during that, during that time, were you actually squirreling away material? You know, were you getting interviews in the bag that you know weren't necessarily for anything for your day-to-day work? Yes. Yes. I mean, I was certainly developing the relationships with people on the team, whether that was players, um, because our access over here to the actual players is, from my understanding, much better on a day-to-day basis than it is in something like the Premier League. Uh, They're available, essentially, in the clubhouse for hours at a time every day, so you can just go up and talk to them and establish a relationship with them. Um, Also, obviously, Jeff Luno, Sig Maidel, I got to know quite well. Mike Elias, the assistant GM, I got to know right well. So I would just follow this story. I would keep reporting. I would write some things for Sports Illustrated along the way. Uh, knowing, really, since that cover came out with that big prediction that this terrible team would win the World Series in 2017, knowing that I was going to be tied to their destiny no matter what, just because of that prediction, uh, and I was, frankly, personally fascinated by it in any event. This is a story I wanted to keep telling. I wanted to keep reporting, whether it went somewhere bigger or not. The structure's interesting, so let's try and break that down. So, generally speaking we're heading towards the 2017 World Series. There's going to be some origin story on the way, both in terms of the organization and some of these superstar players. I mean, was that that your idea from from day one, or were were there any sort of um, draft ideas that didn't really make it? Did you ever think about going in, for example, with the sort of glory moment? I didn't. I didn't, because I knew that the book was about the process over the outcome. So I thought it would be a bit backwards to focus too much on the outcome, especially because, as Sig Dell says in the book, the outcome's kind of a, toy, a coin flip competition when you get down to just a few games to decide who's going to be crowned. What really matters is the years and years of work you've done before that, the thousands of decisions that you've made that have all led up to that. So I always knew, look, as you say, the ending's not a surprise. But, like, neither was the ending of Titanic, and that's one of the biggest grossing movies of all time. So clearly there could be more to stories than a surprise ending. I always knew the approach I wanted to take was to establish all of these threads over the course of the book that would all wind together and, you know, become braided almost and finish up in the World Series. When you see how all these decisions that were made Some of them six years before, some of them in some ways like a decade before or more the World Series when Jeff Luno and Sig Meidel started to develop the philosophies that led to the World Series, how they all came together in October of 2017 to lead to this outcome, which, yes, while maybe a bit, you know, flukish in some ways, 
was the one that everybody was aiming for all along. So you and I have been, have been talking a little bit before we recorded about the way that the Astro Ball story might translate to other sports. And, and obviously here in the UK where we're recording this, soccer is number one. And we have been sending the book out to, to a few people. And it's, um, it's really interesting because there seems to be, if not a uniformity, then certainly a majority opinion um, about, about the areas that are sort of most interesting to these guys. And I wonder if it would surprise you that the Carlos Beltran story is, is the one that most people return to. So for listeners to this who haven't yet read the book, first of all, go read the book. Uh, Belchan was, uh, well, why don't you take it up? The story behind the recruitment of him and why there was kind of like more than athletics behind the decision to, to bring him on board. Sure. I mean, by 2017, Jeff Luna and his crew figured that, look, they hadn't perfected uh, the analytical side of things. Uh, they had, But they figured they had a pretty good handle on how to, you know, predict performance, how to use analytics to help players maximize themselves. Um, they're often accused of being arrogant, but I think that one of the keys to them is that they're not so arrogant that they believe that they know everything, that they could quantify everything, anything that they can't quantify didn't exist. They didn't believe any of that, right? And some people do in this field, and I think that that's a real... Uh, shortcoming can lead you astray if you think that you kind of know everything and you have a grasp on very tricky situations. So essentially, um, Jeff Luno kept thinking back to 2015, which was the year after we made the prediction of Sports Illustrated, the year in which the Astros suddenly, to many people's surprise, got a lot better and even made the playoffs that year. Uh, they were a very young team led by people like Carlos Correa, and Jose Altuve. And they faced in the playoffs a team called the Kansas City Royals, who were more experienced, right? They seemed to have this unquantifiable cohesion, this relentlessness, these, these factors that were hard to put numbers on, but that seemed real. You just could not kind of put them away for some reason. And they won. They knocked the Astros out of the playoffs. And Jeff Lunu kept thinking, you know, what did they have that we didn't have? Well, he realized that in the process of rebuilding this organization from the ground up, um, he had kind of gotten rid of all the veteran players, right? Like you rebuild, you draft young players who you believe in, you develop them. Now you've got all these really talented, like 25 and unders on your team, but you don't have that veteran presence. You don't have that leadership. You don't have people around who have been through everything before, who know uh, how to analyze opposing pitchers for themselves, stuff like that. So to cut a long story a little shorter, in 2017, he was looking to sign a free agent who could bring that unquantifiable, intangible, but in his mind, very real uh, aspect to his clubhouse. So he signs Carlos Beltran for $17 million, making him his highest paid player. Carlos Beltran, who's about to turn 40 years old, who, yes, had a very good year at age 39, who hit a lot of home runs, but no analytical system is going to say that this guy's going to be better, that this is probably a good long-term uh, long investment when he's turning 40. But Luno signed him not just to hit home runs, but because he thought that what he could bring in culturally to the team uh, would be significant. Many things. Knowing how to 
read other pitchers, knowing how to bring the clubhouse together, uh, all working in the same direction in a number of ways. Specifically for Beltran, knowing how to bridge the gap between the Spanish-speaking contingent of the clubhouse and the English-speaking contingent of the clubhouse. Because Beltran had grown up in Puerto Rico, not speaking English. Uh, He'd struggled at first as a young guy in the States, uh, or in the mainland, I should say. Uh, And over the course of his career, he'd figured out how to make a cultural whole out of people of many different backgrounds. Um, Essentially, to skip ahead, it worked incredibly well and in ways that Luno really could not have anticipated. The clubhouse was very tight. The concept of team chemistry, which is really hard to put a value on, uh, was clearly in play in the Astros clubhouse. And Beltran did some very specific things that you couldn't have predicted either, such as in the World Series, figuring out that one of the Dodgers pitchers was tipping his pitches, which means that he was doing something uh, in his windup that Beltran saw and told everybody, hey, when he does this, it's a fastball. When he does this, it's a curveball. When you know what the pitcher is going to throw, it's much easier to hit. So in that way, and many other ways, Carlos Beltran was a major factor in the World Series win, even though, predictably, his performance on the field had fallen off. That section of the book is fascinating. I wonder if it surprises you that that's where a lot of football, that is soccer, people are going to. I'm not surprised. It seems like this chapter is a big draw for people in many industries, not just sports. I feel like, you know, when you talk about data analytics, I've heard from people in the finance and investing world. I've heard from people in the oil and gas world. I've heard from people, you know, back in sports in the National Football League who kind of say, look, like obviously mastering uh, data is important. It's, it's more than important. It's almost table stakes if you want to compete now, right? You can't hope to compete anymore if you don't. But there's a sense that the field has flattened a bit. The advantage you can gain from data alone is not at all what it was in baseball even 10 years ago, in other sports even a couple years ago. Uh, so what's next? And I think a lot of people think that these much harder to quantify, harder to understand, multifactorial things such as culture and chemistry and how do we uh, inject this into our organization uh, to give us an edge that maybe everybody doesn't have is very important. So yeah, and I also think it's one that could extend to virtually any kind of uh, group pursuit uh, that there is. So I think it's a very good example of that. So as a, as a student of this um, evolution of this approach to pro sports, and I'm not asking you to be uh, um, an expert on the sport that, that so fixates us over here, but I know that you've got smart guys like Grant Wall around you as well. Tell me, Ben, what do you make of, of the, the approach that, that soccer has or the way that, that these huge businesses, you know, these huge super clubs are managed? Do you think that we're lagging far behind baseball? My sense is that the field in soccer and the Premier League in particular uh, kind of is like baseball was maybe a decade ago, right? Where you have certain clubs 
who are way ahead of the field in this. And, you know, my understanding would be that Liverpool, for example, is one of these. And then you have other more traditional clubs who are still kind of doing things the old way. Maybe they don't have the financial power. Maybe they have an owner who isn't sure about this stuff, whether it might apply to soccer. So you have this kind of division within the sport between the haves and the have-nots. I would think that very quickly... Um, everybody's going to come around because you already have the example of baseball and other industries that have shown that you kind of need to be invested into these areas if you want to hope to compete in the future. Okay, Ben, listen, last area to cover. I want to, uh, I want to speak a bit about where the story is right now and how connected you feel to this year as we approach the sort of playoff point of the season and the Astros are just going like a freight train. So the cast of characters has morphed slightly. Like it's been, it's been fascinating for um, Martin and I having sort of dived into, into the story after we read your article and then, and then developed the UK edition of the book. It's been really interesting for us to see some of these core characters develop and kind of sad to see a couple of them fall away and then equally thrilling to see the emergence of, of, of a couple of really key guys that, that were maybe just sort of on the periphery or even in the developmental stages when you were writing the book. So what's, what's the through line that you see to, to this team that are about to head into the playoffs? Well, I mean, the remarkable thing to me is that the team won in 2017, and each year since then, it's gotten better, fundamentally, right? I mean, last year they did not win the World Series, and this is what I was saying before, about the somewhat randomizing effect of Major League Baseball's playoff structure. They lost their series to the Boston Red Sox, another very good team. It was a few games. They lost. Few, they won fewer of them than they uh, lost, and they went out. But the fundamentals, as far as what the hitters are doing, what the pitchers are doing, things like runs scored versus runs allowed, were better. And I think that speaks to Jeff Luno's incredible patience, his process orientation, and the way that he always looks at things for the long term. He does not overreact to things that happen in the short term, doesn't trade away young prospects uh, for immediate help virtually ever because he knows the long-term value of those young prospects. Um, They're better this year than they were last year. At the trade deadline, again, you remember the Justin Verlander chapter in the book, and he's still around. With two seconds before the trade deadline, they acquire... Justin Verlander, who since then, 2017, has become pretty much the best pitcher in the league, or has again become the best pitcher in the league. Well, they did it again this year at the trade deadline. Not two seconds, it was maybe like half an hour at this time, but they acquired Zach Greinke, the former Cy Young winner from the Arizona Diamondbacks. So they now have what many people would say would be the best starting rotation heading into the playoffs of all time. Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke, and also Garrett Cole, who I mentioned at the end of the book they had just acquired, and in my opinion, were going to help become a great pitcher indeed, and he has become that. He is now probably the second leading favorite behind his teammate Justin Verlander for the American League Cy Young Award, which goes to the season's best pitcher. So that trio, Justin Verlander, um, Garrett Cole, and Zach Greinke, many people believe this is the best starting trio, starting pitching trio 
going into the playoffs that any team has ever had. So, yes, I mean, to me, the harder thing in baseball or any sport, really, than building up from scratch to a winner is maintaining that winner. And so far, year three seems as if uh, they're not going anywhere. They continue to get better, which is, in some ways, Jeff Luna's greatest trick and accomplishment of all. The pitching is is quite incredible, and then also there's there's been um, the emergence of a bit of a phenom um, in terms of the the hitting as well. Tell us a bit about um, the story behind Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez, I mentioned him briefly in the book, in the context of this is somebody a young prospect. He's twenty two years old. He's from Cuba. The type of prospect that many other GMs in the past would have already traded. If you're a winner, you're getting down to the end of the season, usually what happens is you trade a guy like Jordan Alvarez for pitching help or something, something you're going to need in the short term. Uh, His long-term prospects be damned. Luno does not trade his best prospects, right? He did not trade Jordan Alvarez. He did not trade another guy named Kyle Tucker, who's an outfielder. He does not trade another guy named Forrest Whitley, who's a pitcher. Jordan Alvarez has come in. He's only played 77 games in the major leagues this year because he came in halfway through. He's already hit 25 home runs. He's driven in 75 runs in 77 games, which is completely insane. Uh, He's batting 315. And, you know, over the time period, essentially his offensive numbers are the second best for any hitter in the league after Mike Trout, who I think people over in the UK probably know even is the best baseball player in the world right now. So, no. Like, again, would Jeff Luno have imagined that this 22-year-old Cuban would come in and immediately become one of the two best hitters in the league? No. But the way you test to see if this happens is by hanging on to him where other people might have traded him. And if this is, at least in part, uh, a data story, because I mean, there, there's the combination of that and, the, and a sort of return to, to human intuition, but if we're in part talking about a data story, then the longer this goes on, the, the, the wider the data set we have to figure out what's happening. And how broad is this base? I mean, I know that back in the day, they used to refer to baseball teams as dynasties. You mentioned Sig, Sig Dell, who's an absolute cornerstone of this book no longer there I mean but it it doesn't sound as though you see it ending anytime soon I don't see it ending anytime soon and we should say that Sigma Dell has gone to a team that's even worse than the Astros ever were the Baltimore Orioles to try to do the same thing there he's somebody who's uh, most excited by the process of the climb as opposed to the maintenance phase which the Astros are now in Look, the fact is, because of the way the playoffs work, it's very unlikely that there'll ever be a true dynasty in baseball again, meaning a team that wins the title year after year after year. There haven't been back-to-back champions in baseball in 20 years, right? Because the playoffs are just so randomizing. I think the new way to look at what a dynasty is in baseball is a team that contends that reaches the playoffs every year and there gives and once there gives itself a chance to win. And you talk to Jeff Lino, that's his aim. That's it for another episode of Between the Lines. 
Thank you to Ben Reiter for speaking to me. You can keep up with everything that he does by following the content of Sports Illustrated and his fantastic book Astro Ball is out now from us at Backpage. There'll be another episode soon. In the meantime, you can follow us at Twitter at Backpage Press. I'm at Neil Backpage. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.